and trying hard to have conversations with them when things aren't going well, that comes from a place of understanding of what the other person's perspective is, as opposed to just imposing mine. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. This is Kim Skorupski, and this is a special episode of the H3, Habits and Hacks from Hopkins. And on today's episode, we have Dr. Divya Shrikumaran. Hi, Divya. How are you? Hi, Kim. How are you? Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I cannot wait to talk with you because I know we're going to have a really interesting conversation, having a little heads up about your topic. But why don't we start by telling everybody who you are and what you do here at Hopkins? Sure, great. So my name is Divya Shrikumaran, as as you stated. I'm faculty at the Johns Hopkins Wilmer Eye Institute. My responsibilities include being vice chair of education and the medical director for our Odenton satellite. Uh, My primary sort of subspecialty is cornea and cataract. So I'm an active corneal and cataract surgeon and see patients clinically and then have the significant responsibilities from an administrative standpoint for managing our residency and medical student experiences, as well as one of our satellite practices. And on top of that, do a little bit of clinical research as well. Dr. Shrikumaran, wow, that is wonderful with a lot of responsibility. And I know that you are getting ready to put your promotion packet in. So you're certainly well-deserving of the associate professor status. And I can't wait to see how that progresses. And I know you've graduated from our leadership program, especially the the Emerging Women's Leadership Program. And I remember you in the classes. And why don't you like get into what is it you want to share with us today? Because I can't wait to get into it myself. Thanks, Kim. First of all, thank you so much for your kind words and for your support. Um, this is what I remember from our Emerging Women's Leadership Program is how much all of the women supported each other. And, um, and I'm so grateful to have had that opportunity and, and hope that I can sort of share some feedback for other women that are um, trying to progress in their careers and, and maybe over the last year have had a little bit more trouble since the pandemic started. Um, you know, there's a lot of literature and a lot of studies that suggest that women still bear the um, lion's share of the home care responsibilities, whether it's for their children, for aging parents, um, just household responsibilities. And so what I wanted to share today was a little bit of how I've managed over the last several years and, and particularly over the last six to nine months with the pandemic. Um, and that's that we have a multi-generational ha- household. So my parents and my in-laws both live with us. Uh, initially, actually, it was my parents. They started living me- with me when I was a fellow. I was expecting with my first child and my husband was still a resident. He was chief resident in orthopedics at Hopkins. So both of our hours were quite crazy. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that there's no daycare that was going to be open for the hours that we needed. And our incomes didn't really allow us to pay for the nanny, uh, a good nanny for the number of hours that we really needed coverage. And so I invited and my husband invited my mom and my dad to come stay with us. And so for a while they would come and stay with us, but they maintained a separate home in Pennsylvania. But then after that, after sort of a year or two into it and, and with our second child coming, we, we made it a permanent arrangement where they started living with us full time and, and sort of sold their own home. And, and this became our home. And 
um, a few years after that, my in-laws, when they retired, they joined us as well. And so we have, um, we've, we've benefited from loving grandparents being very actively involved in the growth and development of our children. And it's great for my two daughters who, uh, who are eight and 11 to have such a close relationship with their grandparents. Um, and for our grandparents, really, it's kept them young. <laughs> it's mm. kept them active and, and, and engaged. And, and they, I think they love the grandkids more than they love either me or my husband, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which I think is a good thing. Um, you know, it's, 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 we're blessed that our kids are getting this much love. Um, from family. And, and I have to say for me personally, being, you know, an active clinician and uh, faculty member, you know, educator, leader, having late night meetings, Saturday and Sunday conferences, traveling, I, I really don't know how I could have done any of this without their support. I love this first for many reasons. Number one, I'm a gerontologist by background. So, you know, I love older adults at any time. Um, People start talking about older adults, my ears um, perk up because I really want to learn and understand this. And so I think from uh, my own personal standpoint, I'm fascinated, but just logistically, I'm in awe because, you know, when we started this conversation, you were said, no, I'm worried this isn't, this isn't a very progressive idea. Um, but we, and then we were talking about how the, the pandemic, I think, has reminded all of us, you know, what is really important in our lives and the fact that people started baking more and there was a rush, not only on toilet paper, but on flour because people were baking bread and, spending time on old fashioned board games together during quarantine. And so the fact that, you know, we, we've come full circle to recognizing what really matters, not material things, but relationships and people is just so evident in, in the fact that you have two sets of parents who moved in now and operationally, logistically, I, I can imagine people listening to this saying, okay, it's, it's, this is wonderful, but how does this work uh, on a day-to-day basis? Like, is there some kind of schedule where, you know, mom and dad are tapping out the other mom and dad and, and, and this grandma's got that, but that grandpa's got that. How did you figure out the daily routine of um, living yeah. with two sets of parents? Yeah, so that's a great question. I would say that that process has been evolving. Um, it's been bumpy, the road at times, because, of course, with this many people involved, um, this many chefs in the kitchen, <laughs> so to speak, Literally. there's always room for conflict. Um, I think there's a few things that we've done. Um, I think that w- one, uh, we we did build our home um, to allow us to have a little bit separate space. So just from a standpoint of privacy to maintain people's sanity. You know, my parents and my in-laws are kind of on separate spaces on the main floor of our home so that, um, you know, my mother-in-law and father-in-law have their own sort of little mini apartment within our home. So they have their own kitchen and they can kind of shut the door and be left alone. And my parents are more integrated because they came first into our household. So they're more integrated. But um, again, they have their space on the first floor. And whereas my husband and I have our space on our up, on our second floor. So we do we do have some physical distance that helps keep us all feeling like we have our own space, which I think is really critical to, um, frankly, sanity and to, <laughs> to prevent little conflicts from turning into big problems. Um, and then I think one thing that, that because we have both, there's times when both aren't here. I think that's allowed both of our grandparents, both my parents and my 
in-laws to have some flexibility to travel. Um, you know, before the pandemic, uh, for several months at a time, you know, my in-laws would maybe visit their other son or they've been to Australia and England and Canada because they have extended family members. And similarly, my parents have had the opportunity to travel and visit my sister or um, family back in India or my mom has a sister in Europe. So fact that both grandparents are involved, they sort of take turns being away, which leaves us always covered uh, for the most part and gives them, you know, the, the tap in and tap out uh, situation that you mentioned. Right. Um, when both are around, um, it can, it, you know, lead to some confusion about who is doing what. But for the most part, they do try to chat with each other and we try to facilitate making it clear who's doing what by nature. My mom and dad are early birds and my in-laws are, you know, night owls. They tend to stay up later. So it works out where usually the morning stuff my parents would do and some of the after school pickups, et cetera, my in-laws would help with. And and so they could sort of tag team that way and and find a balance. It requires a lot of coordination though, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm thinking that with this um, activity at home and the various schedules and all the people, the players in the in the game here at the house, you must have a a natural ability or a gift of leadership at work with team building. I'm thinking that how could you not um, living in a in a home environment like this? How could you not t- translate that sense of mediating conflicts or preempting? problems because of the virtue of the fact that you have all these adults at home who, um, you know, you respect and you admire and have lived a long time and they, they're kind of set in their way. So can you help, th- help us think about how that has translated into your ability at work to be a leader or did, have you brought some things from work, home or vice versa that helps you be a leader? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that actually some of the classes that we took in the Emerging Women's Leadership Program were helpful. You know, the crucial conversations, mm-hmm. really understanding people's personality types. Yeah. Um, it took me a little while, and this was a learning curve. I, I, I wish I could say that this was a rosy path all along. It hasn't been. I think that we've matured and sort of learned along the way what people's tendencies are. I've learned what, you know, sets my mom off. I've learned what my mother-in-law sort of inclinations are and really just trying to understand their personality types and where they're coming from and, and trying hard to have conversations with them when things aren't going well, that comes from a place of understanding of what the other person's perspective is, as opposed to just imposing mine. Uh, You know, I think the biggest thing is recognizing that everyone in this house loves our kids. And so sometimes everyone's perspective on what is best for the children can vary quite a bit. (laughs) And so, you know, really trying to get back to, okay, I know that you're saying this because you love, you know, Nitya and Anshi, but, you know, I'm concerned that this is the impact on blah, you know, you know, letting them watch iPad at the dinner table isn't healthy for other reasons. You know, I've had this conversation with my father a couple of times and it's because he's the pushover grandfather that doesn't want the girls to cry ever. (laughs) So he, he, you know, so I think some of these skills, but sort of having conversations when you're, you know, they're not my employees, they're not my staff. So obviously I can't approach them that way. And as you said, this is the same thing when I was program director, 
you know, having to work with senior faculty and trying to get them on board with the vision I had for our program was quite challenging because on some level, these were people who had trained me and now I had to come back and suggest that perhaps the methods weren't the right way anymore. Wow. And that isn't that a perfect um, metaphor comparison to home? These are the people who trained you and your husband. These are the yeah. people who raised you, who changed your own diapers. And now they're living in your home. You're running the show. You're paying the bills. And now you have two little ones. And so the positions have flipped. And I'm thinking it's the exact same thing when you said you agree at home on one one mission. You all love these girls. That's number yeah. one goal is the, the girls. And the same thing at work. We all love our yeah. patients, uh, our trainees, yeah. the students, yeah. our staff, whatever the case may be that you all agree on. All right, let's all agree on one thing that we yeah. love or are passionate for, fill in the blank. Yes, yes, yes. Agreed. Okay. So let's explore how we're all coming at this in different ways and then the implications. So that is a perfect, I think, example of life a microcosm at home and then at work and how they parallel each other. Yeah. And I think it's true. I mean, it's little things. I, I I took this when I was first staffing surgeries, you know, and I'm teaching my daughter to write and I realized it's how you're holding the pencil. And then I realized, Oh my God, it's how they're holding the instruments in the OR. It's how they're holding the FACO. And it's, you know, we operate under a microscope. So I don't always pay attention to that part. You're seeing the tip. But you're not, you have to just sit back when you're training surgeons to look at how is the rest of the setup. And, you know, these are things that, you know, we've all come to appreciate the importance of. But when you're in the thick of it, in the middle of the surgery, you forget for a moment. And you, you know, as, as educators, we like to repeat ourselves when things aren't going well. But that, you know, saying it over and over again and louder doesn't work. <laughs> you have to stop and really think about why isn't this? working the way I want it to. It, you're reminding me, I'm not sure if it was during your cohort, Sarah, mm-hmm. oh, Dr. Sarah, is it Andrews? I can't remember her last name, but she works out at my gym. She's adorable. She has two twins, mm-hmm. obviously twins, uh, little girls. And the one, yeah. uh, Sarah was describing the example where she's like, I was, it was crazy after work. My husband, he's mm-hmm. also a physician. And I was trying to get dinner prepared. And I, I turned around and I was had my head in the refrigerator. And one mm-hmm. was just... The one little girl was talking, 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 and and said, Mommy, Mommy, you're not listening to me. And Sarah said, I told her, I said, yes, sweetie, I'm listening to you. I'm just getting ready, um, di- getting dinner ready. Keep talking. And the little girl was growing more and more frustrated. And, the little, and she said, my daughter said to me, Mommy, I want you to listen to me with your face. And she yeah. said it made me realize that she wanted to see my eyes, that I was paying attention to her and listening to her with my eyes and my face. And she said it made yeah. me think it worked the same way when we all multitask and we're checking our phone and checking our emails and a trainee or a staff person or a patient or anyone doesn't really necessarily feel like they're being heard unless they see you listening with your face. And so I love those examples that with little light bulbs go off and we go, Hey, wait a minute. Right. I just learned something from my child. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) So 
Uh, Divya, tell us about, I, I can't help but thinking as I sit here alone um, in my basement, like a, a mushroom all, all moldy down here in, in my damp basement working during quarantine. Uh, uh, tell me about people who are saying, well, this is wonderful, Dr. Shrikumar. Isn't this nice that she has two sets of fa- uh, parents living with her and helping her and that she's got this close family? Um, I don't have that. I don't have yeah. parents, or I don't have a partner, or my parents are halfway around the world, or um, I don't get along well with my parents. Can you, um, you know, help help us think about, I don't know, bridging those connections or building building family where you are, or how how do what recommendations would you have yeah. for people who aren't as blessed um, as you maybe right now? Yes. So I think, uh, you know, I, I hear that question very loud and clear. And, and I guess the first thing is I have to acknowledge my privilege with what you just said. I am lucky and, and not everyone, one, would have the privilege of being able to have parents that are interested in being involved in this way or two, being able to accommodate them, you know, physically and financially the way that my husband and I have, we worked towards it. We've made it our priority, but still we're privileged to be able to do it. And so I think I just have to acknowledge that first. I think in terms of building connections, this is where there's, I I hear it from my patients all the time uh, that they'll tell me about some little kids in the neighborhood with whom they're very close and maybe they don't have their own kids, but there's, you know, someone from the community that they've adopted. So I think that there's a lot of people in our communities who are lonely and probably want that connection. And it's harder, whether it's through church or some other social group, there are ways, I think, to identify people who are looking for this interaction. Um, I, I feel terrible saying this, but I have a lot of sort of grandmas that have been widowed, you know, in the 10 years that I've been practicing and they're very lonely. And so, and I just can imagine that this is true for other seniors. And so I, I think that there's people who are looking for a local family. Um, and again, I know it's not easy, but I would think that social organizations like church um, would be a great place to start to find these bonds. And then I think the other aspect is to look at extended family. So not just your parents, but maybe your aunts and uncles, um, there were times when when my parents were away that uh or early on in 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 this in sort of my kids being young and my dad's brother and his wife came uh and stayed with us for a little bit and they've helped me and they you know growing up they were like my second parents because they lived in our community um now they're um we've all moved away I grew up in New Jersey and my dad and two of his brothers lived in the same town. So we grew up as a close family, uh, but it's, it's been a while since we've lived in the same state, but they came down from New Jersey and stayed with me for a little while. And, you know, I think just sort of building those family relationships beyond your immediate nuclear family is, is, is key. And I would say that for us, our generation, it's key that we maintain those relationships with our siblings, with our cousins, so that we have a, a greater network. I have cousins now all over the country. Uh, my sister is in Ohio, but you know my husband also has cousins all over the the world. Actually, he has a lot of people in um, Australia and Canada and Sri Lanka. And so I think that our social media, as much as I'm not a fan of spending all of our time on social media, but still, 
we're more connected in ways than we ever were. And I think keeping up those connections is key. You just never know where paths would cross again. Right. Wow. That is just, it's all, it's almost as profound to me, the, the observations you've made and this lesson that you've just put out here today is so important that I think that's so valuable for anyone out there listening who does not have this blessing of people right close to you. You can, we can build family, not necessarily the family in yeah. which we were born, but the family we build. And so we, yeah. we can build family by just reaching out or I, I love that in my neighborhood too. I live down here in Canton near the harbor in Baltimore and wonderful neighborhood mm-hmm. of little kiddos that are young from the ages of, you know, four to 10 and they are just adorable. And I am, I'm Miss Kim. I am like the adopted, maybe almost grandma, but at least an aunt to a lot of these kids. And I make it known to them. No, please do invite me to their soccer games. Please do invite me. We're all socially distant, but I want to be um, a, a part of that. So it's a, it's part being proactive but also, I like how you invoke the idea of community and church and organizations looking for opportunities to think that there may be people out there who maybe aren't as extroverted as me, but who might yeah. appreciate a little uh, gesture of something. Hey, go, running into the store, do you need anything? Little little yeah. efforts that help build connection. Um, that's just so, so important, especially now and. You are a wonderful living yeah. example of that. I think this is just amazing. I am so grateful for this message today, really. I think that we have to, as you said, with the pandemic, we have to think back to the basics. And I would say that this year has been challenging for everyone on so many levels. Um, and if we can just remember, you know, a little bit of kindness towards each other um, and sort of, again, going back to some of our basics, that's how we're going to get through this. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, Dr. Srikumar, this has been unbelievable. I'm so happy that we had this session today. It's it, again, it was not um, not something that you you were you were, were nervous about it not being progressive enough. But I think this yes. is just so so meaty and so much so full of just wisdom. And I'm thank you for the honesty and sharing sharing this. Um, your personal life and how this has impacted your your career here at Hopkins. And folks, I hope you also, and I'm sure you have um, seen, derived much value from today's conversation with Dr. Divya Shrikumaran here at Hopkins of one of the H3, the Triple H Habits and Hacks from Hopkins. I hope you'll join us next time at the Faculty Factory Podcast. Thank you, Divya. We'll see you. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Kim. Thanks so much for having me and for allowing me to share. And I really enjoyed the conversation with you. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.